Hello and welcome to the Plus One podcast, where we discuss diversity and inclusion in our workplaces at the University of Melbourne. I am your host, Medo Punada, Senior Lecturer in Management and Marketing at the Faculty of Business and Economics, University of Melbourne. In this episode, we host Michelle Evans, Associate Professor in Leadership at the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Melbourne. I talked to Michelle about her expertise in and experience with Indigenous leadership and entrepreneurship. Michelle takes us with her on her life and career journey from community-based theatre and radio to co-founding the award-winning Mura Indigenous Business Masterclass Program and directing the Dylan Duba Centre for Indigenous Business Leadership. This episode was recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong peoples. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello, Michelle. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well today. It's beautiful and rainy here in beautiful Nam, acknowledging uh, the Wurundjeri people. Uh, the Woiwurrung clan and of uh, the Kulin Nations. They're one of five tribes of this unceded territories and acknowledging elders past and present. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, I love the pin that you have on your coat. Is it, uh, may I ask if it is an Aboriginal related pin and symbol? Yeah, this is a shield. It's made out of copper and it's got, it's inlaid with emu feathers. It's a very special piece. Well, it's gorgeous, actually. It's very beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you for your time today to uh, to be a guest of the Plus Bomb podcast. Um, I understand we had to reschedule once, um, but I have been very much looking forward to this talk. So as I mentioned prior to the podcast, um, first we asked the guests what their backgrounds are, um, and then we move on to the conversation about building on that discussions of, of the background, what the guests are doing now related to DNI uh, initiatives, and then we take the conversation from there. So I'm um, all ears. Well, uh, thanks, Meadow, and it's lovely to be here with you. Thanks for asking. Um, my name's Michelle Evans. I'm a Koori woman from the Hunter Valley in New South Wales. And um, I live in Albury on Wiradjuri country in New South Wales. I love regional Australia. It's, uh, it's my happy place. Um, and I live there with my family, um, my wife and two foster children, and um, also my parents. I moved to Albury, so we're all there having a, a wonderful time just supporting each other through, through life. Um, I started out my career in through higher education um, studying theatre, community-based theatre and radio. And that was kind of my background. I always wanted to be a theatre director and I, I loved the, the course that I did. It was very cohort-based, very um, Friarian and Bowell-inspired um, um, theatre training, very improvised. And um, after my third year, uh, we, I directed my first show 
uh, as my own, as the the major director of the show. And it had a really successful run, three seasons. And the, the last season we did was actually as a part of the first Sydney Fringe Festival. And it was, um, we had a beautiful location to do the show at Bondi Pavilion, which was just fantastic back in the early 90s. And um, during that show, um, and, and knowing that it was the third run for this story, uh, the the actors and the musicians in the show said to me, "We don't need you here every every moment. Like we got this." And I was twenty one, <laughs> so I felt like that was a kick in the gut. So I wasn't real great at at this thing called directing, and so I decided to go off um, back into more community based organising and. Um, community arts and community cultural development and I worked in uh, Trades Hall Council in Newcastle um, with the Workers' Cultural Action Committee. I got to work with all sorts of communities, um, um, people who were living in caravan parks. I worked with gay and lesbian communities setting up a, the first kind of big network across New, Newcastle, worked with Aboriginal communities and with... Um, all sorts of communities, and it really, it really taught me a lot. And out of that, I built my first kind of big arts project by myself back in my home community where I grew up, uh, a working class town called Cessnock in the in the Hunter Valley. And it was about trying to tell women's stories um, of that. That's a mining town, and uh, really the history of Cessnock is all about men. And so we we started this incredible um, writing project and and then storytelling, and uh, it was just such a watershed moment for me to to be a part of that. And as I go on in my career, I went back in my masters to um, look at what the long term impact of of a small short ten week um, project had on on the women. Um, and community and the, and the cultural workers who are a part of it. And one of the ladies said to me in the interviews um, for my master's, you know, come on, you know, this, there's life happens. This isn't such a big thing for all of us. Um, it might be a big thing for you. And it really put me in my place. And I, lo- I love that. I love that sort of accountability. I love being held to account and, and being put in my place. It really helps me reorientate. And it really taught me a lot, Meadow, about understanding the somewhat arrogance of trying to evaluate and how we come at it um, as this kind of egocentric sort of piece of wanting to understand impact. And it really set me off on this kind of path of thinking about impact and and trying to um, redefine how how do we... um, kind of notice social change? How do we um, understand it? And uh, that that's really been a big part of my life. I, I've worked in community theatre. I'm a bit of a founder. 
I was uh, one of the founding station managers of Three Cool and Deadly, which is Melbourne's Indigenous radio station. It's still going 20-odd years later. I was a founder of the Willen Centre at the Victorian College of the Arts, and it's still going 20 years later. That's the sort of legacy you want to see, that you want to be a part of setting things up and also letting things go and grow in the way that they need to, and that's been a big part of my life and I guess it's taught me a lot about this thing called leadership and it's something that I have been watching and wondering about and listening for and hearing about from elders and artists as I've, I've gone across my whole career and when, when I was training uh, Indigenous artists and arts managers in, in, a, in a program down at VCA it was meant to be about arts management, but in the end, I, I really wanted to find out about what I was seeing, which was um, about leadership. And I, I talked to all of the students and teachers involved, and and we started to look around for, you know, what was out there about Indigenous leadership, and there was hardly anything written at that time. And I thought, well, that that makes sense. And so I wanted to do my doctoral studies in, in the area, specifically around Indigenous arts leadership, because I was, I was very heavily in the arts, obviously, and that was, that's been my passion, my area, um, my expertise. But to study leadership, Meadow, you have to go to a business school. And, um, oh dear, that was a big thing for me, moving across to a very different way of thinking and operating in the world um, from what I had been doing for the first, you know, 15 years of my career and, and my training. And it was, re it was very, very difficult for me um, to arrive uh, in, in a place like Melbourne Business School um, and there not to be any other Aboriginal people at all. Um, and also to be studying something that wasn't a mainstream discipline of a business school. Um, but I had really fantastic supervision and um, I just we, we built it out from there. One of the guys uh, who was there, Professor Ian Williamson, um, he, he just kind of was like, how do we get more Aboriginal people in here? And he had been a part of um, a thing in the US called the PhD Project. Have you heard of that one? Mm. The, yeah, so it's it's a kind of a pipeline uh, idea that one of the um, big consulting companies have really backed of, you know, we need more minority um, academics in business schools in order to attract, obviously, more minority um, students, clearly, but also to change the curriculum over time. And it's that sort of thinking. And, and the PhD project's been going for, you know, over 20 years, 25 years. And Ian had done his PhD and been a part of that project, which is all about, you know, building this kind of critical mass of people from um, minority backgrounds in the US and and coming into very white spaces like business schools, um, very captured thinking and very um, um, specific managerial, neoliberal um, sort of ideas of how to 
think about and manage businesses in this day and age. And I think, you know, that his experience in that um, and my experience in building Indigenous kind of spaces and, and, and working really in a community-engaged, community-up way, we were able to, to build something together at Melbourne Business School and that was called the Murrah Indigenous Business Masterclass Program because, you know, I've been just working for the last, you know, decade in Melbourne um, with Indigenous um, artists and creatives uh, who, who are also entrepreneurs, they have to be. And it was a big change in the 90s, as we all know, where uh, a lot of our creatives um, were really forced into that um, uh, tension around managerialism and and having to manage this career and find the way to build a business model out of their artistic practice. So um, I I was really kind of... I could see the possibilities uh, of um, having a program... Um, that was just about kicking the door open in a business school and saying um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people deserve access uh, to business acumen training at the, you know, postgraduate level as ev- anyone does. We need to know about how to run businesses and to how to play this game um, in order to create self-determining vehicles. And a business can be that also. And, you know, I really learned a lot about this, had no idea about this, um, as you can understand. And so we built the this program along the same time as the, um, the Aboriginal Chamber of Commerce was setting up in Victoria as well, Kinaway. And so Kinaway and, and I from, from MBS, um, we went out on the road across Victoria talking to entrepreneurs and business owners and trying to figure out what, what's what and um, what, we, what a program could be, what, what was wanted, what was needed. And um, out of that, we built, we built the Murrah program. And so that's been going for 11 years, 12 years, and um, we've got nearly 250 alumni that went national in year two. It just kind of boomed. And all of a sudden, I had people <laughs> who I could hang out with in this space. I mean, I'd been, you know, um, I worked out that there was a back door at MBS between the uh, Centre for Population Health at Melbourne University and MBS. I was letting, you know, my fellow PhD, uh, Indigenous PhDs across the university in for, for um, a cup of tea at the staff lounge at MBS, which was incredible. You know, we were all just super poor back then and... Uh, yeah, now we we started to have a trickle of Indigenous um, business leaders. We started to have a critical mass. We started to build this voice and uh, it was such an incredible time. And I think for me, working alongside that community in the growing Indigenous business sector um, has been such a joy. Um, and I've learned a lot uh, about the tensions and the and the paradox and um, and the issues and also just the absolute creativity and in in um, genius approaches people will use business for and and it's really for 
their own <clears throat> families and their legacy and um, they're able to choose who they work with and what they're doing and that is an incredibly agentic space to be in. Um, and I'm not being Pollyanna about this. Uh, I, I, I listen to people talk about how important the change from being, whether it was working in government or um, working in another corporation or in education even or other places, community organisations, to actually having to turn up and work out how to make a profit, to pay people, pay yourself and to keep this thing as an ongoing concern. It's just, it's it's really a lot of hard work and hard work ethic. So that, that for the last 10 years, working with that community of Indigenous business leaders has has really led to what is now the Dillon Dewar Centre for Indigenous Business Leadership. We, we were kind of beckoned into this idea by the alumni as we talk every year with people going through the program, but we had convened a, um, a big forum in 2018, 19 of 50 Indigenous business leaders and it was about, you know, we want an academy for the Indigenous business space. This is a growing, um, not only the sector is growing, but the discipline of knowledge needs to grow. We need to invest in it. We need to um, train people, all of all of those things. And and really at the heart of it, Dylan Dewar does those things. It does research. It does community engagement um, because that's really important, paying attention to regional and remote um, parts of Australia and making sure that access, which goes back to, you know, what, what I'm, what really motiva- motivates me, um, but also our programs. So obviously the Murrah program, but now building out a grad certificate and creating that pathway into further study, whether that be, you know, MBAs. We're seeing more and more Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people go through and and I'm hoping a, a steady flow into um, PhDs over time as well because we really do see um, internationally this discipline of Indigenous leadership, Indigenous entrepreneurship, um, Indigenous business is, is really growing and um, our centre is about bringing all of those international um, best, um, best practice scholars uh, together and building um, momentum and a voice into the scholarship and literature as well. That's fantastic. Firstly, thank you so much for the introduction to your background and also building up um, up on that to telling us, myself and the audience, about what you're doing now and what are the initiatives for Indigenous people that you have at University of Melbourne uh, for the Dilinduva Centre. Um, can I ask for some more information about if uh, public is listening to it, right now, how can they get involved or specifically Indigenous communities, um, 
how can they enroll if you offer any programs? Uh, are there any scholarships for it? So uh, it would be really helpful if you could provide some more information. Sure. And I think, you know, just to pick up on that latter point, this is this is the area where institutions like the University of Melbourne, Melbourne Business School, um, have the opportunity to step up and make a difference because I've really learnt over my time in higher education <clears throat> and in Indigenous academic leadership that um, some parts are not my work to do. So it is most important that you... Um, create the invitation and create the the space and you push, most certainly you push, um, but the institution has to make those scholarships happen. I have done it before where I've gone out and hunted scholarships and bought in money and done all of that. Um, but again, it's external to the, the core business of the university. The university needs to make the change. And so if we're thinking about social change in, in an institution like a university, we have to, you know, unfortunately go into that mindset of, you know, what is the value proposition? What is the business model? And of course, you know, hey, I've learned a little bit about that over the last decade and I'm able to use some of that literacy to make arguments and um, encourage uh, players uh, who can make those sort of decisions to make those sort of decisions. And then I can point to it and um, really um, show that th these institutions can do that work themselves and they should be highlighted for that. And I'm really, you know, I really am absolutely um, delighted that, you know, I've been involved with Melbourne Business School for, I don't know, 12, 13 years and um, it's only a couple of years ago, Meadow, that uh, they reached reached into their own pockets and 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 invested in Indigenous scholarships for the MBA. Now I've been asking and pushing and calling and cajoling for a decade, but um, the the change happened when a senior leader, being the internal dean Caron Beaton Wells, said, "This is what we're doing." And that's when things change because I don't have the institutional power or authority to make that happen. I, my role is to make an argument and, and um, show how things can be done and create that flow possibility and, and show that the scholarship's there or there's students there or all these things. But the business school or even FBE, they that institution needs to make space. It needs to not only say they value and want Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in as students, as, as staff members, but actually do it. So it's really not that hard. It's really, we do know how to do these things, don't we? Uh, but people kind of shy away. I think it's probably the same from what you've heard from other people talking in the diversity and inclusion space. Like, we need a person with lived experience to tell us what to do. You need to do your job and we're going to work alongside you and we're going to ensure and hold you accountable and, you know, and show 
that there, this is not, um, it, this is definitely possible and, and don't let you kind of coward out of this. And, you know, when we first, uh, Melbourne Business School offered the scholarships, you know, there was, um, I forget how many applications, but at least two or three times more than they expected. Wow. Of course. Yeah. Now, again, the stereotype or the the, the kind of limiting thinking is there's not people out there, you know. Um, but where's that thinking coming from? And I think, you know, the, the role that we have to play as people um, public intellectuals in a, in a space like an, um, the academy is to really push people to think about what uh, is closing their mind to this, you know. And this is, um, this is the big um, change. And it's not about, you know, just um, creating another category or thinking about diversity and inclusion as an, an add-on or, a, you know, uh, a staple onto these processes. The processes just need to be completely recast, done in a way that is is inclusive and has diversity as as the absolute DNA of that. Because we know that that's what creates innovation. We've done all that research. We, I mean, out of business schools for crying out loud. So, what's stopping us? What's stopping us is these managerial cultures that keep things in in the way that they are and and the power structures that keep certain ways of thinking going forward and you know for for a person like me who's charged with uh, the role of associate dean indigenous and starting to think about you know ways to bring indigenous content into a space like FBA or MBS, it gives me great cause for alarm in many ways because it's not about bringing people in. It is about um, us doing housekeeping before that happens and that is an ontological and epistemological discussion that we need to have with our colleagues about how we think about the world and how um, kind of uh, blinkered we have become in our disciplines of only one way of, of um, doing research or only one type of uh, way of, of collecting data from one particular major US country only to build out knowledge from, and that's the norm. That is ridiculous in 2023. We need to do better. We know better. We have to do better. And I think that we are up for a reckoning around um, the way in which we understand the world and how we build knowledge. That's our job. And we need to get better at it. I completely agree with you. And, um, well... Um, with respect to that, the, the research method and the fact that in academia most of us are um, put into this framework and put ourselves into this framework that we are striving to to um, to please 
academics and journals, American academics and journals, using positivist research methods, and whereas there are so many other postmodern and uh, interpretivist ways of doing things that are more true to the sense of the context that you are doing research on. Um, that's a dilemma in my own head. Yeah. Um, on on one hand, you you want to follow the head, and then you want to conform to the norms, and you want to use that positivist line of thinking, and then following that that theory, and then publish, and um, that uh, I would say could be the same line of thinking that gets into what you mentioned about the top managers here, for example, anywhere else might think about Aboriginal communities and the fact that they want to conform to some other major discourse that goes on, for example, in Australia about Aboriginal people or some kind of preconceptions, not necessarily correct, that they might have about these communities. To me, it takes courage. You need to be bold enough to to stand uh, to stand up against that current that comes at you and wants to take it take you with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, how should we do that? Well, I think courage is certainly an important important um, strength to bring to bear on these spaces. But I also, I mean, I. I really am calling for colleagues to have um, critical reflexivity about how how they are thinking, how we are building um, these things. Asking, you know, if I think about Indigenous curriculum and development, you know, it, it'll be the kind of call, okay, I've got, I'm... Uh, the head of um, finance or accounting, and what's an indigenous finance concept? I mean, this is this is ridiculous. Let us, we have to think very creatively. We have to go back to first principles. We have to think about, you know, indigenous knowledges and how they are holistic, and and then we're we're in a battle between Western knowledge and Indigenous knowledge and then we're into this other space all of a sudden and it really creates an us and them um, paradigm which we which is very difficult and so you have young academics whether they be Indigenous or not who are also subject to what the institution deems as success and for promotions and for um, all sorts of things, um, just to to be able to you know keep going every year in your performance reviews, and those those structures are also at the moment uh, uh, you know starting to um, open up somewhat. You know, thinking about um, engaged research, thinking about impact, thinking about different ways of of doing it. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we need to throw everything out and start all over again because that is, you know, a dystopian idea really. Um, But we need to, you know, not just kind of go into this space of, of building up and us and them a fight between 
the culture wars really of what has been happening for the last 30, 40, 50 years in this country or 200 plus years in this country where it is a denial of <clears throat> Indigenous ways of knowing and, and doing and, and being um, and the imposition of Western ways of, of uh, approaching it. Now, I, I do think that there are ways that we can we can do this and it is about coming together and really critically kind of investigating how, how do we think about the work and, you know, even for myself, I'm an empirical social scientist. I'm a leadership scholar. You study leadership, this is this kind of phenomenon that emerges between people in groups in moments how do you study it we talk to leaders it's so stupid like you know why are we talking to people who either we frame as leaders or they already frame themselves so it's or it's can it's you know it's not scientifically uh doesn't feel right you know so our leadership field has been debating about methodology and um, the the kind of big leap between between how theoretically exciting the area is and how methodologically backwards really we are. I mean, those sort of yarns is what inspires us as academics. And if we can't work out and, and challenge ourselves to be thinking about this in our institutions, then how can we really go into communities or work with um, companies and be able to make that uh, application of the knowledge and, and show and demonstrate how we have um, a real understanding of our own positionality in that knowledge development. So, yeah, I just, I get very um, excited when I see um, young academics or any academics really showing that sort of approach, um, really thinking about how they are building knowledge and, and how they are positioned and how they design it and what the limitations are. And and, uh, and I, I get excited also when I, I see young Indigenous academics. I also get very protective, Meadow, because I know how hard it is in institutions and how... Um, how it how you can get really down because of what you need to achieve in a, especially in institutions like um, the University of Melbourne where where we we come here we are hired here because we are excellent and that that is the expectation as it well should be I am I'm all for that but we need to really um, be able to think about the breadth of what that can be and and from whose perspective that excellence is seen and how even in promotions to have those different communities that we might work with or work from have a voice into those sort of um, ways of being able to, to talk about how this has impacted um, the way we talk about things or the way we think about things. I mean, that's huge, right? It is. It is a fundamental change. Um, I think the current way the universities are function 
from my understanding, it is it is a product of I don't know university ranking systems, QS times higher education, the criteria they use, um, exactly the um, the the incentives for them, the incentives for universities, and then how that is, that becomes a top down approach into what is expected of you to deliver. Like really, um, yeah, I understand as academics we should. Uh, aim for top quality um, journals and publishing them. But that also comes with its own pressures and its own frameworks that you need to comply with. Um, and then, again, getting back to that positivist view. Um, and if you want to be more creative, if you want to be... Uh, I don't know. I have seen good good pieces of work, but uh, most of them, to me at least, probably, you would agree look like following a certain type of not very authentic sometimes frameworks that you need to comply with um, and then sometimes you tell yourself yeah I want to stand up for myself I want to do my own my own line of research I want to have my own legacy in academia um, and then you get a rejection <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And we've all had that. And, and you know, it's hard. It is really hard. Um, but, you know, I just go back again and starting to think about, you know, how do we, um, what is the role of a higher education space? And certainly having worked in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, space for a long time, it is about the um, dream of of a future for uh, education's always been a big part of of driving the future for our generations and and building up those expertise and and having you know more doctors we've seen you know professor Ian Anderson who was um, our first indigenous pro vice chancellor at the university of melbourne a big uh, one of the first um Aboriginal doctors in Australia, part of building the Indigenous Doctors Association, and now look at where that is: the Indigenous Psych Psychologists Association, the nurses, the all the health workers, the educators. It's it's incredible the amount of effort uh, that First Nations um, academics, uh, in collaboration with community and uh, Aboriginal education consultative um, um, bodies which connect it to the community and connect it back to those kind of first principles of, you know, thinking back to a children's first hundred days, thinking about, you know, pre preschool education, thinking about... Pri like, it's all connected. And so when I think about higher education... I, I get, you know, we can get trapped in that individual um, academic kind of life and how we're going to get through and, and what we're doing. But really, I think the opportunity um, for me is how to be connected with community, um, especially through research. It's really helpful, but also through the teaching and um, and through our community engagement at Dylan Dewar, that is what gives um, the inspiration and aspiration, um, and it really creates such an incredible momentum. 
And perhaps the thing I'll, I'll use as a great example is um, I teach in the Murrah program, I teach the leadership um, capstone masterclass and I challenge the group to think of how they can do something collectively um, that they couldn't do alone. And, you know, what has come out of these sort of challenges um, to the cohorts, each cohort has been incredible. There's been junior Murrah programs set up, there's been dialogues set up, there's been Indigenous women in business um, networks, etc. But um, the one that really stands out for me is Generation 4 of Murrah set up Indigenous Business Month. And it's Indigenous Business Month this month in October. Every October we claimed an entire month. And um, it's incredible. I mean, what you just do it. Like, you don't ask permission for these things. You just get on, get on, do it. And what is it about? All we did is so light touch, you know, put up a website and invite people to log on their events celebrating Indigenous business, whether it's a coffee in Toowoomba um, at a local cafe or, you know, a panel discussion about uh, legal legislative change in the Indigenous business sector. It doesn't matter. Anyone can do anything they want. And um, it's been great. We're we're on the ninth year this year. And um, because we are going to the national referendum, um, we have decided that this year we really wanted to encourage people to just gather together to support each other and not really have our big awards ceremonies or big launches and stuff because the negative um, campaigning has just been really attacking a lot of Indigenous um, uh, individuals, of course, but lots of movements and, and organisations and, um, yeah, no one deserves any of that. And so this this year in 2023, um, it's really about just in, in encouraging grassroots gathering to support each other. Um, and even that just feels like such a generous... Um, I just get a big sigh when I think, I think, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to perform. I don't have to be out there trying to be uh, a voice on this or that. I can just have a cup of coffee and um, with some local people that I know who are, are trying their hardest to, to build their business or their organisation to make a difference. And all of those businesses really are making a difference, whether it's employing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people or, you know, there's a fantastic Murrah business that I love that's set up a a foundation um, funding workers on the mission the lady comes from. She's one of our Indigenous advisory group members. Her name is Carol Vale and her firm Murrawin does, you know, service engagement evaluations, reviews, all sorts of things. But she also funds, you know, major international conferences out of her own pocket or funds uh, the employment of her sisters and family on on the mission that she's from and um, really funds community to get involved, employs her family. And I just think, you know, what an incredible um, leader Carol is. And and she's she's not the only one. There are so many. 
there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Indigenous business leaders around this country. And we are all so much um, strengthened by them, I think. I'm pretty sure. And I would love to meet them um, for this October event. Uh, can non-Indigenous people attend? And if they can, uh, where can they find some more information about it? Yeah, so just look on indigenousbusinessmonth.com.au and you'll see all of the events listed. They're all around the country. And, and anyone, well, Indigenous businesses can list events and uh, it's just it's just great to see what comes up you know um, you just you just never know but next year meadow um, once we're beyond October 14th um, we're really looking towards our our 10th anniversary of Indigenous wow. Business Month and we're gonna have a, a bit of a shindig I think I think it's time for a party and uh, a real celebration of all uh, all that is in the Indigenous um, business sector. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the most um, profitable business or the, the biggest business, and, and those are really important. But I'm talking about, you know, ingenious businesses that figure out a business model that gives directly back to community through their, their work, or I'm talking about incredible creatives who create... Um, um, business models out of their creative and cultural work, or I'm talking about Indigenous businesses who do business with other Indigenous businesses and build that supply chain interaction um, eye to eye, we've called it, not B to B. And, uh, you know, just those different ways of, of saying this is what we think's really special. And I'm sure there's a hundred m- more uh, great ideas that will become awards in the future and we look forward to that. Yeah, me too. I would love to see more of Indigenous businesses, specifically more Indigenous people in faculty business and also Melbourne Business School. Michelle, I'm conscious of the time. I know that you have to be somewhere. Um, there is one question and I ask uh, all our guests by the end of the podcast. And here it is. How do you think the future looks like? I'm always hopeful I really, some people think hope is, you know, something that we've been sold to believe in. But I really do think hope is is an important, um, it's an important gift to ourselves for for the future. And so I still have great hope for a positive outcome from the referendum and um, I think that that will spurn on great change um, in the DNA of our country and our identity as Australians. Um, I really am excited by that. I think for the Indigenous business sector, I think there's real hope for coming together and having a strong voice to to call and leverage um, policy change in and of themselves. And I think for Dylan Dua, as we're going through our first kind of, we're still building as a little centre we've just turned to this year, um, 
I, I have great hope for just seeing more and more Indigenous academics and professional staff building out this really important space and finding ways to to bridge into um, really authentic and exciting curriculum and a decolonised way to be in our Faculty of Business and Economics and in Melbourne Business School. Thank you very much, Michelle, for your time. I hope we get to have you again in the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast series. Please also reach out, let us know what you think and whether you'd like to contribute to Plus One podcast series.